0: Welcome to Positively Leading, the podcast that's all about helping you grow your resilience, leadership and influence. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Howling, and each week we will be diving into a variety of topics related to leadership, communication and personal growth. From feedback and accountability to diversity and inclusion, we'll explore the skills and strategies that you need to become a more effective leader. So whether you are looking to improve your communication skills, build strong relationships with your team, or simply become more confident in your role, join me on this journey of growth and discovery, and let's get Positively Leading. Hello, and thanks for joining me for this week's episode of Positively Leading, where I'm going to be exploring some lessons from neuroscience and behavioral psychology that will help you to strengthen your school, your organization, or your team's change muscles, and Grow Change Resilience. Now, specifically, I'm gonna be covering why change can be hard, and then we'll be exploring the six change muscles to develop along with some strategies that will help you to do just that. Now, we know that change isn't easy, whether that's personal change or organisational, and it's not just the big change programmes that can be tricky, it's the constant layer upon layer of small changes that can wear us down too. However, if we understand our brains, we can actually just make some tiny tweaks to the way that we manage change in schools and organisations for much better results. And this is because neuroscience really does bring us a new lens that we can look at change through, a new lens that we can think about understanding people better and thinking about what motivates people. And it brings actually scientific evidence to leading people and teacher engagement. And it proves that these are not just soft skills, but actually there's a scientific basis to why we do what we do and why things work and some things don't. So with this much, much needed increased focus on teacher and student well-being, the neuroscience can also help us to understand what helps to keep us healthy and happy and higher achieving. And this enables us to not just survive, but actually thrive through change. And last but not least, today's episode is practical and relatively easy to implement. Now, I'm not actually talking today about how to plan change. That could be a whole other episode, but more about the small tweaks that you can make to get better at managing the change process, both for yourself and also for others. So let's start by briefly exploring why change is hard. And if you're interested in this in more detail, then head over to episode 11, How to Build New Habits for Positive, Long Lasting Change and Success, because in that episode, I will talk or I do talk in much more detail about this. But a quick overview. Now, our brains are the reason why change can be hard. And this is because the brain is wired for survival. And its job is to move us away from threat and towards reward. Now, In prehistoric times, that th- the threat response, the fight, flight or freeze, kept our ancestors safe from saber-toothed tigers. And the threat response is still really strong for us now. Now, both the reward and the threat response matter to our brains and they can impact us both physically and mentally. But the thing to remember here is that the threat response is much more important and far stronger with us. Okay, much, much stronger. And we need to be aware as leaders, we need to be aware of this extra sensitivity to threat. And we've got to keep this front of mind whenever we're going through change so that we can think of ways to counterbalance it. Now, another reason that our brains are behind why change is hard is that our brains are prediction machines so they are constantly trying to predict what's going to happen and again this stems from our the brain's drive to protect us to keep us safe because if it can predict what's going on and what's going to happen it's going to be in a better place to guard us and prediction also helps us to make decisions faster subconsciously and with less energy and effort and prediction is really important in change because change involves uncertainty and often not knowing information. And this prevents our brains from doing what they like best, predicting. So your brain and your team's brain can get really anxious and very tired because they actually need to work overtime. And this takes us to the next reason that our brains struggle with change. And that's because our brain wants to conserve energy and it wants to take shortcuts to do so. Now, this can lead to reflexive thinking or what Daniel Kahneman calls system one thinking. It's when it's instinctive, it's automatic and it's mainly from our subconscious rather than system two thinking, which is where we are engaging our prefrontal cortex and our logical thinking brain. Now, when the brain conserves energy in this way, using system one thinking, It actually leaves us open to making mistakes. So our brains are wired for negativity and to perceive threats and to be able to predict and conserve energy. And what does change bring? Well, it brings huge amounts of uncertainty and ambiguity. And this our brains just don't like because they can't work on autopilot. And when we feel uncertain, there are several areas of our brain that become active. In particular, those areas that are part of our fear network. Now, certainty activates the reward systems, which in turn helps us to feel good. It has a positive impact on our ability to focus and to perform. Whereas uncertainty activates the threat system. And this can mean a negative impact on our ability to focus and perform. And there's a really important message here for leaders. When we are struggling, when as leaders we're struggling or teachers are struggling with change, it's not a sign that they're weak or unmotivated or failing in some way. Our brains just struggle with it. And then this threat response that we know, I've mentioned this a number of times on the podcast so far, the fight, flight or freeze response. Because when this happens, blood flows away from our prefrontal cortex where we do our logical thinking where we do our planning, and where we do our emotional management. And it comes away from that and into our limbs to get us ready to fight. And then this means we can't think as clearly. And unless we do something about it, our aroused amygdala means that we can become anxious. We have more fear-based thoughts. We start to see threats bigger than they are or even where they don't exist. And when we are uncertain about something and there is an absence of information, then we speculate. And because we're wired for negativity, we speculate negatively. Now, just when we need people to be thinking at their best, to implement change, to manage integrating new things, to learn new skills, implement new policies, whatever it might be. The brain is not as focused because our brains are distracted and thinking is impaired. So this is why change is so hard. So the million dollar question is, what can we do about it? Well, my research and work points to there being six change muscles that we can develop as leaders, that we can build in by making some tiny tweaks with our schools, with our teams, with our organisations that can really help us to navigate change better. And they are all based on a deeper understanding from neuroscience and psychology on why we do what we do, and how we can positively impact both the outcome of change and also the process. Now, I'm going to introduce you to the six change muscles now. I'm going to share why they're important and a little bit more information and then share just a few ideas for each about how you might want to build them in to support your change in your team, school or organisation. Okay. so briefly, the six muscles are performance, community, emotions feedback and learning decision making and communication so if we start with performance knowing what we know about our brains and knowing that change is inevitable what can we do to keep ourselves and other people performing at or near their best well the key thing here is that we need to remember the impact of the threat and the reward response on our brains and what that then means for our ability to think and perform. So remember, the threat response, this triggers the flight or fight. There's less emotional control. There could be anxiety, distraction, seeing threats where we don't, you know, they don't exist or they're bigger than they are. It can also lead to reduced memory, poorer performance, our dopamine decreases and the stress hormone cortisol can increase. Now, the reward response is or can lead to more positive emotions, we're more focused, we're more open and willing to collaborate, more able to learn. There's creativity, our dopamine levels are up. So so much more positive emotion there. So what we want to try and do is move people away from that threat response and into the reward response. So what can we do? Well, first of all, we can remind people of past achievements. Now, I often do this at the start of workshops and meetings because I know it's going to get people into a more positive state of mind. It's going to generate dopamine. And in turn, that means that people are much more open to learning. So really thinking about what have we done well in the past? How have we navigated things in the past? Really building on that. And also, I love the appreciative inquiry model of coaching to run through meetings. We're looking at what's working and what's been achieved. Rather than the distance ahead of us. Now, the second thing is to give praise and recognition. Now, this must be genuine, it needs to be specific and ideally regular because what this does is it helps people to move into a positive towards state and generates dopamine. And unexpected praise or rewards can actually generate even more dopamine, so they're even better. So, giving praise and recognition. And the third suggestion, A third tiny tweak that you can do is to allow whenever possible for people to reach their own insights. Peter Senge says that people don't resist change, they resist being changed. So thinking about that, we know that the brain craves information, but equally powerful is that the brain wants to reach its own insights. And this is something that's often overlooked. We tend to like things better when we've made an active choice to select it. And the good news is it doesn't take much to activate these feelings, but any kind of involvement must be genuine. So there are three possible strategies that you can do to to develop the performance change muscle. So our second one now is community. The need for human beings to feel that they belong and that they're connected to others. We we just can't underestimate this. And this actual or this need actually really does increase during times of uncertainty. Unfortunately, there's a tendency for us when we are in the middle of change and uncertainty to become more transactional in our approach. And we know from the stress response why this is. And there are so many aspects of change that we can't control as leaders and managers but we can all influence the quality of our relationships with others. And it's not just something that's nice to do. It can actually have an impact on people's capacity to think and to work at their best. So building a culture of connection, of belonging and of collaboration is fundamental. You know, creating psychological safety and enabling the brain to feel safe, that's the first step. And I think this is even more important in international schools, you know, to develop the ethic of care. Where staff and students and parents are often faced with, you know, the idea of impermanence and isolation—they're away from usual support networks of home and of, you know, their home countries. Even so, thinking about that, building that culture of connection. But what can we do? What are three tiny tweaks that we can build into our change process? Well, the first is we want to be activating the reward network in our brain, and one easy thing that we can do for this is that we can ensure fairness. We can develop a set of principles about how the change process is going to be handled and then use them as a constant reminder. So we're helping people feel part of a community by ensuring fairness. The second thing is that we can do our utmost to make time for people, whether that's through get-togethers, one-to-one meetings, um, whatever that might be, small groups, And I think the key thing here is that listening is even more important in times of change. So how can you make time for people? How can you listen as much as possible? And the third thing we can do is we can help people to let go. And this is key, I think, that all change brings a sense of loss. And sometimes we can forget that. And sometimes we can be thinking about the forward, you know, what's going to happen next and the, all the things that change are going to bring us. But actually, really just helping people to, to sit with that fact that, that there is a sense of loss and helping people just to articulate it and to move through it. So providing that opportunity to come together and share, but helping people to let go through that process as well. So there are three strategies that you can do to develop the community change muscle. Now, the third is emotions and managing emotions can be super hard at the best of times. And we've seen what can happen when when emotions are, are challenged during change. I think I mentioned on a previous podcast as well that I was once told to check my emotions at the door and that feelings have no place in the school. Well, we can't ignore emotions. They play a huge part, a huge part in who we are, how we experience life and how we express ourselves. They also play a really important part in our decision making, no matter what some people or maybe us might like to think that they don't. Now, by, they help us because they, they guide us to what feels right and wrong. And they also help to shape and change our behaviour and they play a central role in enhancing our memories as well. And there's a really long term detrimental effect or impact as well of not managing emotions because we can get stressed and angry or or find it. You know, we build that stress response even more if we try to suppress them. So whether we want them or not, they're there and they need to be managed. So three tips here, three strategies for you here. The first is whenever you're embarking on a change process identify people who are more likely to struggle or more likely to catastrophize or more likely to take a negative view of change so that support can be put in place for them and you can better manage any message that they may be sharing. So knowing your team, knowing who is going to jump at the change and run with it and those who may be struggling a little bit more and then supporting them individually. The second is to provide practical and cathartic workshops or meetings during change to find out what issues people are facing and what you might be able to do about it. So what you're asking here is really what's the impact on you at the moment? How are things going? How can I support you? How can we support each other to be able to navigate this? Quite often, we don't actually want to do that because we're afraid of what we might uncover. But research shows, and again, the neuroscience shows us that the more we have that opportunity to engage, the more we have the opportunity to talk things through, the stronger our change muscle is going to be and our change resilience will grow. And I mentioned this a little earlier, but the third thing is to use appreciative inquiry. And this is a coaching framework that moves people towards the reward response because it looks at what's working well rather than what isn't. And it's a really powerful coaching framework that you might want to explore. OK, we're moving on now to the second part. We've got feedback and learning, decision making and communication. So let's think then now about feedback and learning. One of the things that we need to try and do is that is we need to create a feedback rich culture. And when we're doing this, we need to think about um, blame and judgment not being part of it. And as leaders, we need to be modelling this every opportunity. Now, what can we do about this? Well, model feedback first and foremost. Now, in my last team, one of the things we did was to look at feedback after each event, each activity, or maybe each weekly review. And we're always, always, always asking, what's the learning for us here? And modelling this helps to build a culture of feedback in itself. And it's actually a psychological safety building activity as well. Now, check out episode 20, building a feedback rich culture, where I give six strategies to do this as well. So that might be useful for you. But the second thing also is provide training for your teams to give and receive feedback. Feedback should always be a dialogue and not a monologue. And quite often training programs only look at how do you give feedback rather than how do you receive it as well. And it's part of building that feedback-rich culture. And then finally, the final tip here is to, as leaders during change, right, sometimes you might be thinking to yourself, how on earth can I just get this person to do what I want them to do? But the thing here is, if you can listen, if you can hold onto the question, what do I have to learn here? What if this person has some really vital information to help our change efforts? What if this person could share something that could really shift the way that I think about this and go in with curiosity and have conversations with curiosity? So you're listening, you're learning and you're modelling a culture of open communication as you do so. So there's a three tips then for feedback and learning. Now, decision making. Decision making can be really challenging under normal circumstances, but it, as we've seen, it's particularly difficult during change. Now, we know that when we are surrounded by uncertainty, we're in that threat state. And when this happens, the blood flows away from the prefrontal cortex. And that's so important for us because actually when that happens, it means that our field of vision literally narrows and we're less able to to see what's going on around us. And all of this happens without us even realising it and if you remember that one of the things our brains like to do that's conserve energy and take the fastest and easiest route and they they take shortcuts right so shortcuts can be helpful but they can also lead to bias and this is this can massively impact our decisions now there are so many i think over 150 different kinds of biases have been identified but three common ones particularly in decision making are the confirmation bias We like to be right and feeling right is rewarding to our brain. So we unconsciously seek out information that supports what we already believe. And we unconsciously pay less attention to what doesn't support our views. The second kind of bias is sunk cost bias. And this means that it can be hard for us to give up on something that we've already invested a lot of time and effort and resources. Now, remember, this can be actually countered by the feedback-rich culture and those regular check-ins on the change process with people. And then the final bias, which is dangerous for us in change and decision-making is projection bias. That's where we tend to assume that people see the world as we do and that they think like us. And again, this can be countered by a feedback-rich culture and asking different questions. So what can we do, tiny tweaks can we make to to support the decision-making change muscle? Well, first of all, we can carefully plan decision-making meetings. For example, hold them earlier in the day when people have just got more energy. Limit the number of big decisions on the agenda. Provide time for discussion and consideration. And agree beforehand not just what the decision is going to be about, but how the decision will be made. All of those things can support your decision making. The second is mitigate bias as much as possible. So you can do this by building awareness of bias in your team members. Be be open to challenge. Be on alert for team members' blind spots and each other's. Prime yourself not to be biased. So you're putting norms in place and you're reviewing them at the beginning of meetings. Have somebody play devil's advocate in the meeting. And and I think importantly is build a diverse decision-making team or at the very least, bring people in from other areas to share their perspectives. And then finally, in terms of decision-making, I think one of the most valuable questions that a leader can ask themselves is how might I be wrong? So you're always open, remember, in decision-making through change, Your field of vision is going to be narrowing. So asking yourself that question is very helpful. Okay, last but not least, the communication muscle. Now, communication during change is critical. Our brains crave information and remember, it all goes back to survival. And our 21st century brains still have this huge need for info. And if we don't have it, we feel uncomfortable and we speculate and we fill that gap. And we fill it with negative stuff as well. And it can take up a huge amount of time and energy. So it's really important to put yourself in the shoes of other people and think about not just what you want to communicate, but what they need to hear. And it's not just about the right content, but also the right tone. So knowing when vision and energy and drive is needed and when greater empathy and listening would be helpful. So what can you do? Well, first of all, you can provide certainty about communication. Now, in change and complexity, you probably don't have all the answers and situations can change massively. But you could give certainty about when and how you will communicate. For example, guaranteeing that there's going to be weekly updates at a certain time. That will help people's brains to grab onto that little bit of certainty You could also involve people in change by holding meetings and and helping people to identify what they can't control and to focus on what they can. And then this feeds another of the brain's needs for autonomy. You could also use some storytelling. So talking about the journey that you're on together, not just the final destination. So a focus just on facts and vision and the end result is not as compelling or perhaps as engaging for the brain as using stories and metaphors and the journey. So you're building narratives around the process. And then finally, in change and complexity, it is so important for leaders to communicate not just a message, but a mindset. And that mindset could be learning, it could be safety, it could be togetherness. So not just the content, the message, but you are also communicating a mindset. Okay, there you have them. It's a little bit longer today's episode, but I hope it's been helpful. Six change muscles to build with a range of strategies to help you to do just that. And I'm just going to end with two questions for you. Which of the six muscles, performance, community, emotion management, feedback and learning, decision-making and communication, Are you proactively strengthening already on a regular basis? And which ones might you want to choose to strengthen now? And then which strategies from today could you use? And remember, it's the tiny tweaks that can make all the difference. They're muscles that you can build and muscles are built by small, consistent actions over time, not through massive action taken once a month. So, the tiny tweaks really can bring huge transformation. As always, it's my heartfelt hope that this episode helps, and I wish you all the best in strengthening your organizational change muscles. And until next time, keep on positively leading. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Positively Leading. I hope you found it helpful in your journey to becoming a better leader. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on your favourite podcast platform. Your feedback not only helps me grow, but also helps others discover the podcast and join our community of positive leaders. And if you'd like to work with me, you can head over to sarahowling.com to find out how. Thanks once again for listening. And remember, the world needs more brilliant leaders just like you. So keep on positively leading.